What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Star Wars Explained. Today, we are going to talk about the new novel, Cataclysm. There will be spoilers ahead. The book came out about a week ago, but still, just in case you haven't finished it, uh, we are going to be talking spoilers with the author of the book. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Lydia Kang. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, before we get started, and I, I always make this mistake because we talk backstage and I I tell you off camera how much I really, really loved the book, but I, I want to say it again uh, for people watching that I thought Cataclysm was such a great read, so much fun. That is awesome. Awesome to hear. It's um, I've been seeing a lot of um, positive talk about it recently, and it's it just makes me so happy because you put all this work and energy and blood, sweat and tears, and you just want to write a good story and make people sort of on the edge of their seat. So thank you very much. I'm so glad to hear you like it. Uh, the the one thing that I, I knew that this book was really special was because, you know, so much Star Wars stuff is coming out right now. And I, I had to do a live stream about The Mandalorian and that was scheduled. And I, I was like, I have to put the book down, but I was in the middle of something really good. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no. I have to go talk about more Star Wars, but I want to stick with this Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, um, I remember like writing some of the end of those chapters and being like, yeah, that's a good place to end. People are going to want to keep going. So excellent. Mission accomplished. <laughs> well, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the book, but I, I have always an icebreaker question that I ask uh, new, new people on the channel. And that question is, who is your favorite underappreciated or lesser known Star Wars character, basically as long as it's not a main character from the films or the TV series. I, I love to hear what kind of background characters uh, different people enjoy in the fandom. So um, I think anybody who has read um, the from a certain point of view from the Empire Strikes Back, they're going to know my answer, which is, so it would be like, the medical personnel <laughs> in the stories because like people are getting you know blaster shots and all sorts of injuries and there's always there's you don't really get to see a lot of what happens in the background about how people get better and so i really it was fun being able to to talk about 21b which is the um medical surgical droid that puts luke skywalker's cybernetic hand on but like there's also the fx7 and these other medical personnel i i i would love to see more spin-offs of like you know what happens in in those scenarios because they're pretty um important moments that are usually off screen i i really like that answer and it, it doesn't have to be just 21b but just the doctors in general that you mm -hmm. uh, my my collecting persona is that i will just collect anything and everything about those <laughs> characters like Max Rebo, Biggs Darklighter. But you could just collect all the doctors. You have 21B, FX7, Colonia yep. from Force Awakens. Uh, mm -hmm. That's super fun. <laughs> what Absolutely. is it about the the medical personnel that attracts you to them? Well, I think just that they they tend to be happening at these really linchpin moments, right? When like somebody's hurt and um, someone's on a, it's sort of life or death. And that's where a lot of characters, um, these moments happen that can really change them and can change the story. But a lot of times they happen off scene or just like really quickly before, you know, they sort of move on. That's sort of why I would love to see more of that. I, I love that as a 
as a more all around answer, just all the medical personnel of Star Wars deserve yeah, more attention. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm biased. Like I'm, you know, I'm a physician. And so I, this is like what I do in my day job. So that's why I'm like a little biased. I'm like, oh, you know, it's all the unsung heroes out there who are like doing all this work in the background. They have great stories. So, um, so yeah, I'm totally biased there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. We all are. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I've been lucky enough in the past as the High Republic phase one was coming out, I, I was able to speak with all five of the Lumineers, as you called them in your acknowledgments. Um, but what was the process like for you and Tessa Gratton and Zoraida Cordova and George Mann to come in and write for the second phase and join the team? It was it was really interesting because, you know, I was nervous about it. I had written only a little bit for Star Wars. I had not done a novel before. And I knew this entire endeavor was this big juggernaut of, you know, the, the Lumineers, these story architects, and so many players sort of behind the scenes um, at Lucasfilm, at Del Rey and Disney. Um, and I, I was just this new person entering. And so it was a little nerve wracking for me, but at the same time, like I knew Claudia Gray and I knew Justina Ireland and Tessa Grattan from the young adult um, publishing world. So we'd like known of each other and had done events together in the past. And so they were not complete strangers to me, but other people were. And I, I was just so pleased to see every, they were so welcoming and they were like, you know, they reached out and they're just like, you have any questions? Ask. And you know, this is really overwhelming. And, you know, no question is too silly. And it, they were just incredible to work with. And I have to say, you know, this doesn't always happen in publishing. You know, there's always players that are difficult to get along with or that can happen. And my entire process has been just really wonderful people, really friendly, really supportive. It's just been so positive. So I can't say enough about the process. It's been wonderful. Did they like bring you into a room full of whiteboards and like Daniel Jose Older is pointing at dinosaurs <laughs> and talking about like how, what the High Republic is? How, how did you get all caught up on this new side of the universe? Well, there's some like very large Zooms happening, like, you know, a lot of coordinated conversations about making sure things match up and, you know, um, problem solving stuff. There's, you know, we have a Slack channel where we're like chatting about things all the time. And so there's a lot of conversations that happen um, to make sure that we all coordinate. And sometimes we like, maybe just two of us will have to like sort of go off and like, you know, problem solve things. So like Kevin, Scott and I have had to work a lot together because some of many of the things that happen um, in Path of Vengeance and Cataclysm are contemporaneous. So we had to make sure things matched up and um, and that involved an extremely long and arduous Google Doc. So <laughs> so things like that, just lots of lots of conversations and, and problem solving and you know time changes also because he's in the UK, I'm in the Midwest. And so sometimes like he'd be doing things when I'm like, Kevin, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to be sleeping right now. And he's like, I can't help it. I gotta figure this out. You know. So, you know, it's it's been it's been an adventure for sure. Yeah. I, I'm sure it was daunting to tackle this era. But do you think there were any advantages to being a fresh voice for phase two? Yeah, I think so. I have this um, kind of habit of when I, I have written many things where I uh, kind of don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like I, you know, I've written a bunch of like historical novels that were like mysteries. And like, I wasn't extremely well read in the historical novel mystery genre. I just had a story and I just sort of put it out there. And so I sometimes jump headlong into um, 
complicated writing projects without having an extensive history of doing them. And so that's kind of what it was like for me to write Cataclysm. I hadn't written Star Wars novels before. Um, I tend to screw up a lot of the little details about, you know, when to capitalize this and what terminology to use for that. And so that was really nerve wracking for me. But luckily, phase one had happened and they were my like, they basically were like my textbooks. And so I was reading through phase one and really absorbing the characters and loving the characters and the, the storyline. And so a lot of the heavy lifting, I feel like, was done well before I got there. And it made it easier for me to step in. And, um, you know, obviously, my novel is the sequel to Convergence. And so Zoraida and I were sort of working at the same time she was writing Convergence and I was trying to figure out what was going to happen in Cataclysm. So we were having tons of conversations together about, you know, characters and, you know, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. So it was a lot of just um, ongoing conversations and um, coordinating. Um, and it was pleasant the whole time because I get to work with these like amazing people and they're super nice and friendly and, and fun to work with. So um, but yeah, it was a little chaotic at times. It was great, though. <laughs> you you bring up the fact that Cataclysm is a direct sequel to Convergence. And something I have appreciated about Phase 2 that I felt was a little different from Phase 1 is that every book seems to be a Part 1 and a Part 2. I, I have not read uh, Quest for Planet X or Path of Vengeance yet, but just the titles alone being Convergence, Catalysm, Quest for the Hidden City, Quest for Planet X, Path of Deceit, Path of Vengeance. Uh, reading Cataclysm, it definitely felt like uh, a payoff for all of the buildup of Convergence, which was super fun. Yes, and Battle of Jeddah, which is a, yes. another, you know, it's that, you know, middle um, audiobook in between, which was, so it, you know, was, it was thought out to be um, to be done in, in that way. Um, it's great because if you're sort of like, you know, I just want to read YA and you want to just read Path of Vengeance and Path of Deceit, you can just do that and have this really great bite of this world and a really satisfying arc. And if you want to read the adult novels, you can do it that way if you want to do middle grade. So that was um, that was conceived of um, for, for that reason. Um, it was so that if you want all of it, you can have all of it. If you want a piece of it, you won't be confused because you're like, well, I don't understand what's going on here because like half the characters are somewhere else. Um, it's uh, it's just, uh, I, I, I love that it was done that way. And I think it makes it really fun for readers too. So they can have as little or as much as they want, including the graphic novels and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And thank you for bringing up Battle of Jeddah because having listened to that, just the opening pages of Cataclysm where they're trying to figure out, wait, what happened at Jeddah? What's going on? And just having that knowledge and being like, oh, this book is going to be chaotic in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it from the start just had me uh, tense up and, and lean in. And, and something else that I, I think helped drive that tension, Star Wars fans sometimes joke about how technology in Star Wars never really changes throughout the history of the universe. But I think Cataclysm is one of the first times I actually felt the limitations of technology, especially with communication. Mm -hmm. And I, I really liked that the Jedi could not really communicate with one another. And you see all of these characters starting to head towards Dalna independently. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Was that a conscious effort to make this period uh, 150 years earlier than the first phase uh, feel technologically different? 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's um, you know, you sort of look at the evolution of, um, you know, the Republic and, and you know, it wasn't sort of always like that. And you know, the galaxy wasn't always so interconnected. And you're like, well, when did that happen? And so it was really fun to be able to have that be a part of this phase where you had these pathfinders trying to, you know, seek out all these different um, ways to get from here or there, um, you know, and that being said, the lack of communication, I feel like communication in and of itself is a character in this novel because it is wreaking havoc. Sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not working. And, you know, people speaking to one another, there are these huge moments that happen when conversations happen a little too late or conversations happen when you don't expect them to. Um, so, yeah, communication was something that we played around with a lot, knowing that the galaxy is not terribly interconnected. And that's what the chancellors are trying to do. You know, they're really trying to string together, you know, these worlds and bring them into the Republic. But they're it's they're still kind of new at it and they're working with the Jedi and that's a relatively new relationship. And that's something you don't see, you know, later on um, in the star Wars, as we know it uh, right now. So these, this sort of prequel era, we get to um, play around with that as a problem. And it uh, adds to some really great plot moments, I think. I, I think so too. I thought it was so fun seeing all these different people like, huh, Dalna is probably where we need to go for evidence. And then this other group is like, we need to head to Dalna. And just knowing from phase one that something happened on Dalna and that they're yes. all heading towards a cataclysm. All uh, paths lead <laughs> to Dalna. <laughs> exactly. Which that, that was uh, just the linchpin for this story of once it starts, it does not stop. It reminded me of uh, Kevin Scott's The Rising Storm is that yes. once once violence explodes, it can't be contained. Well, the, the phase two is supposed to be, you know, 150 years before phase one. So mm -hmm. the Republic and the Jedi are even more in their golden age. Uh, but what was it like writing what could be the beginning of the end for that? The, the, the Battle of Dalna uh, was a rough time for the Jedi and the Republic. And I, I think it's we know that it ripples out into phase one. So what was the most fun part about writing <laughs> maybe the worst part of this period in time? Um, God, that's a really, that's a good question. There were so many different things that I enjoyed about writing that it, I remember when I sort of got to that point of writing in the rough draft and I, I had this sort of all like um, storyboarded out and it was just overwhelming. And I remember just sort of like taking these deep breaths and being like, okay, I have to like do this part, but there's so many things happening and there's so much chaos. And, um, and I, I felt this sort of like stress of like, am I going to be able to do this? Okay. Um, and I think the fact that I was like, so worried about it and I was just putting my characters through these like terrible moments. And then I just had kept having to make it worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, the fact that it feels so bad to have to put them through this is a good sign for me. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the process itself was really, really fun. Um, I think it was really great to push some of these really iconic characters to their limit. Um, so, you know, spoiler, Creighton's son is, is um, in, featured in a major way in this book. And um you have this sort of a feeling that this is a guy who really is really settled in who he is and his relationship with the force, um, his, 
who he is as a Jedi. And we cracked that a little bit in Battle of Jeddah. Like, you know, he, some things were going wrong and he didn't feel really great about it. And he comes off from Battle of Jeddah feeling like, I'm not, like, I don't think we did the best job that we could. And like, you know, and then everything gets sort of worse. And so I think pushing some of these characters to their limits was, was, it sounds so mean. It was really wonderful to do because then you really get to you get to that nuggle nugget of like the soul of that person and like what are they really about? Like when they are stripped of everything of like you know of of um, you know their security of sometimes their physicality. You know they're under so much emotional strain. Like what comes out from that? And I I love those moments. And so we do that with with Creighton's son. We do that with Master Yaddle. Um, and so many of these other characters, Axel and, and Gela go through this. Um, for sure, um, Chancellor Greylark, I think, is one of those people who like gets just pulled to the point where there is nothing left but like sort of like her bones. And she's sort of like, what is left of me? What can I do? And so th those were, the, I think, the moments that were also really, really hard to write, but were a joy to write because you get to know these characters in such an intimate way. And you force them to make these decisions and find out what kind of a person they really are. I, I'm glad you bring up the Chancellor because I thought that was such a simple solution to her problem that I didn't see coming of the, the fact that she would just resign her chancellorship for yeah. Axel. Like, and I know that the mother also did not see that coming, that she just couldn't understand why someone would let go of that power. Uh, but I, I thought that was such a cool, like fist pump moment of her coming to just be there as a mother for her son. I, that was great. Yeah. And that was like, it was a really, um, when I decided like I was going to do that, I remember being like, I hope this isn't going to be really obvious. But then the way that the chancellor is set up throughout most of the story, you know, Kyung Greylark is just this indomitable force. Like she has complete control over, you know, what she does. She never, like she, I don't think she ever sweats. Like, I don't think there was ever a single like drop of perspiration on her brow because this lady has it like just so contained, you know? And so it is, um, it's the last thing that you expect her to do. And at the same time, it's probably one of the most frightening things she ever does, right? Because she is relinquishing control and she's facing the thing that like is probably one of the hardest thing that most people have to face, which is, you know, this raw, very, you know, um, broken relationship you have with somebody that you love. That's like the hardest thing to deal with. It's not running a galaxy. It's like fixing past hurts, right? Mm. So yeah, so that was fun. I put her through the ringer for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and the Jedi as well. I, I think it's really interesting seeing them at this point where the Sith Wars ended like 600 years earlier. They haven't really been tested and pushed to the limit, like you say. And a, a lot of that in this book comes down to the leveler which is always something terrifying to read about. So what what is it about those creatures that, you know, they are terrifying. No matter how many times I read about them in phase one, the comics, anytime one pops up, I'm like just uh, chilled to the core, really. I, I'm so scared for what's going to happen. Right. I think that one of the most frightening things about anything is when you don't know what you're up against, right? So that was probably like my biggest fear when I was going through residency was like when I was starting a new rotation, 
like in the ICU or something like that, I'd be terrified because I didn't know what it would be like to be there. What you don't know is more scary than actually showing up and doing something. And the leveler, I feel like is, that's a terrible metaphor, but the leveler is basically encompasses all these horrible things that you can't control because there's a lack of information about them. And that's that's one of the scariest things, but also knowing that the little bits and pieces that come in, the little tiny bits of information are that they are incredibly dangerous and not just dangerous, but so dangerous to the Jedi in particular. So I had to be kind of careful about how I address the leveler because um, a lot of uh, what happens, um, we don't get to see in Cataclysm. So um, so it's it remains a little bit of a mystery, but it's this sort of like terrifying mystery and you don't exactly know what's going on. But you see the leveler in Cataclysm and it's like, you know, I remember I had like the, I had the drawings in front of me of sort of the concept art and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this thing is just awful. It's just so scary looking. So I had to make sure that I put that on the page. And, you know, Bino Olo, he, he's the one who sort of sees it and feels like just, awful around it too, because, um, for reasons. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it, it, I love this, the concept of this creature. I just got to give it to, you know, the story architects for coming up with this idea because it was brilliant, um, and terrifying. So, so much fun to write and also like not write because I had to be kind of sort of dance around, you know, what was going on with that creature. Well, I, that's, that's such a cool way to put it that you're right. Cataclysm, it's like a lot of flashes and the Jedi are like, what was that? Our people are turning into husks. We don't know why. Like readers, if you read phase one, are like, oh, we know why. So it's a, a little extra terrifying for us. But I think it's interesting that you say they're so scary because they are unknown. And then at the end of this story, Yoda and Creighton are kind of like, maybe we should keep this under wraps for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that 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 kind of ripples out into a problem for the phase one Jedi, because then we see uh, Cyan Holt and Emmerich Kaptor are, are investigating what this thing is. And it's like, oh, someone could have told you. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's, uh, and you know, that's, that's a conscious decision that mm -hmm. Creighton and, and Yoda make. And it's, it's born out of this, again, it's, it's really, it's born out of fear. And so sometimes when, when, again, like they're, they just, there's information they don't know. They, they recognize that this is like a huge, huge threat that could decimate the Jedi order if it gets into the wrong hands. And if people are like, Ooh, let's go find that weapon of Jedi destruction, that would be like terrible. So yeah. So they, they, they make a really difficult decision at the time, but it's, um, it's a it's it's a moment that has major major repercussions for phase one and phase three. So that will be fun for everybody to see. It, it's so great when you see a decision that you know is going to cause problems later. But like I understand why they made the decision. So that that was very well done. Uh, I also wanted to talk about Axel Greylark because he seems to be just a universally loved character <laughs> that that you and Zoraida, uh created and wrote to be so compelling despite making some terrible choices along the way. Uh, but I, I just can't help but root for him. So what do you think it is about Axel Greylark that makes him so loved? Oh gosh, he is such a troublemaker. He is such a scoundrel. I mean, who doesn't love a scoundrel in Star Wars? So that's, I think that's, that's part of it. You know, somebody who doesn't conform to doing the right thing all the time and just being good all the time. I think it's sort of like is a really great, you know, counterplay 
to the Jedi who are always trying so hard to, you know, be attuned to the force and like, you know, and, and do the right thing and, and be the light and life of the universe. Right. And this guy is just like walking chaos and he's, you know, he's beautiful and he's charismatic and he's screwing up all the time. But inside he's like a little, he's a hurt person who's suffering and, and is making choices because of some of these things that he doesn't want to deal with. And I think a lot of people find a commonality with that. Um, but are also sort of just sort of taken with his celebrity um, kind of charm and that sort of thing. It's I, I think it's that um, combination of of um, the hurt little boy that you kind of want to fix, um, along with that charismatic, you know, bright shiny star you just can't look away from. Can I just say also thank you for giving him a level of redemption without killing him off? That's such a a Star Wars trope that's happened over the years. It's like someone will make one really good decision at, right at the end of their lives. And I was so relieved and scared that he was going to die. And, and I was glad that he did not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like redemption shouldn't always be death <laughs> <laughs> or like happen just before death, you know? Uh -huh. And um, I, I really, I wanted very much for him and Gela to continue to have a relationship and to strengthen their friendship and not only during times of terrible disasters and they will have time to do that. And so in my, in my mind, you know, he and Gela are, they're still chatting. They're still sort of yelling at each other. They're still, you know, yes, he's in, you know, big spoiler. Yes, he is in jail, but he does have that. He does have that redemption. And I, I wanted that for him very much. And I think most people will find, uh, hopefully will find that refreshing that, yeah, I didn't kill him off. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did. Well, the book is going to come out on April 4th. Uh, it, it will have come out before uh, this video drops, but it's coming out right before Star Wars Celebration, which I, I believe you are attending. Yes, yes. So I will be at Celebration. I think I will be either in the air or landing on April 4th. So I may just like not be on Twitter at all because I might be either unconscious or incommunicado. So um, apropos of the High Republic, I will not be in communication for some period of time. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited for people to to read the book to get to know Axel and Gela a little bit more. I'm I can't I can't wait for it. I just want people to reimmerse themselves in, in phase two because it's just been such a great ride. Uh, what are you excited about at celebration to be a part of the panel and to talk about phase two and uh, whatever um, else comes up, I, I'm I'm excited to go to that panel. So I've never, you know, I've I've never been to celebration before, <clears throat> and it's been like a, it's been an incredibly long time since I've been to London, and so I like if you see me there, it's just sort of like with big eyes and kind of silent. It's just because I'm taking everything in and I'm enjoying. I'm going to be walking through that just like literally starry eyed and being like, oh my god, look, there's Boba Fett. Oh look, look what happened. It's a dinjar. I'm I'm going to be like going. It's going to be amazing. So yeah, I'm going to have to force myself to remember to talk and um, converse with people like a normal person. It's going to be hard because I'm going to be just totally starstruck and, and loving it. But um, I'm really interested to hear how the other authors are feeling now that their books are done and they are coming out or they have come out and like sort of their feelings with the wrap up of, of phase two and um, what kind of perspective they've had on the process. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what they say. Uh, celebration is the best. This will be our fourth and it's just people there to celebrate Star Wars and there will be a big group of people there to celebrate the High Republic as well. 
So I hope you have a great time. I'm sure you will. I bet I you'll find so it. Too. I hope so too. My like my dream, which may not happen at celebration because the timing may be wrong, but my dream is someday to see a Kyung Greylark Greylark cosplay with like the headdress and the thing. And it's not going to oh, be yeah. me because I don't have time to put something together. But like I I and I see some like Axel Greylark cosplays. Like I can't wait. I can't. I would love to see that. So fingers crossed that maybe we see something like that. But we'll see. <laughs> the concept art has been out for a while for Kyung. So I think it has. It has. It's been out for a while. So you know. People should get on that. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter preparing their High Republic cosplays. A lot of them are phase one robes, but you mm -hmm. never know. There, you never there might know. be a big surprise. We'll see. We'll see. It's my it's my it's my hope, but you never know. <laughs> it, I bet you can find a 2-1B cosplay there somewhere, or at least a, a, a droid someone's built. <laughs> yeah. If not, I'll just carry my little guy around. I've got him up on my shelf. I'll just keep him in my pocket just in case. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to talk about Cataclysm. If you haven't picked it up yet, I know we just spoiled some stuff, but uh, you should absolutely read it. It's such a fun book. So intense. Uh, so thank you again, Lydia. Where can people follow you online? And uh, what other books have you written that uh, would you recommend to Star Wars fans that are not Star Wars books necessarily? Sure. Um, so you can find me. I'm, I'm on Twitter, Lydia Y. Kang. I'm on Instagram um, at Lydia Kang. So you can find me there. Um, other books that I have written, um, I have another science, like out in outer space science fiction novel that's called um, Toxic that I wrote several years ago. And that's, I had so much fun writing that book just wrote itself. And it's about a um, sentient spaceship um and a, a girl who was born on that ship and wakes up to find it abandoned and so that's that i had a lot of fun writing that and i got to really dig into the science a little bit and and that was that was great um if you're into uh historical murder mysteries with a lot of science in them um or you're a bram stoker dracula fan i would recommend opium and absinthe that's one of my favorite ones that i've written so but yeah um I kind of write a little bit of everything all the time. I'm all over the place, but there's probably something there for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you, everyone that was watching and listening along, and may the force be with you. Thanks, Alex.